There's a lot of lies we live amongst. There's lies told us continually. And unfortunately, we buy them if we're not careful. We listen to them. And we think they're the truth. But Jesus said the truth would set us free, not bring us into bondage. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. In the book of Romans, as we saw several weeks ago, Paul is writing to a small church in the city of Rome. And I was absolutely shocked when I found out how small the church was, just around about 100 people all up. Not a very big church at all. We tend to think the church in the early days was huge. But actually the church has never been bigger than it is now. I saw some statistics the other day. I was asked to preview a, um, a program that Max Chisman is putting out for churches. And uh, he brought out some amazing statistics. You realize one in ten people is a Christian on this planet? One in ten. You look at our society and you don't see that. We think Christians are are just a tiny little group who are struggling, holding on by their fingernails until Jesus gets back, get us off this planet because everything's bad. Yet the, the church worldwide is huge, absolutely huge. The Assemblies of God worldwide, just our denomination, is absolutely huge. Millions upon millions upon millions. God's church is doing well today across the planet and he was just saying in this program that if every Christian got their head around the cause of the gospel the cause of the kingdom the whole world could be one in a year one in tens, not very many if all the Christians get off their backsides and do it but this church in Rome was small now struggling with theological and practical issues. There were things going on in their midst, and we've talked about that before. There was the Jewish-Gentile thing, which we don't have now. We have other issues now, but they're equally as strong. But the church had become fragmented when the uh, Jews were forced out of Rome, and now the Jews had come back, and now all hell was breaking loose because you had two belief systems in the church. The Gentiles had risen up to lead, and now the Jews who were leading had come back. And when you get two leaders face to face, what do you get? Yeah, you get problems. And they had practical issues they were dealing with. They were dealing with issues of what they really believed. How do Christians stand firm in a world that opposes everything they stand for? How should the church live in the midst of all that's going on inside it and outside it? And you know, all of those things count today. Those same things that they were struggling with, we are struggling with today. We are struggling with what we believe. And I think if we did a survey and went right around this room this morning and asked you what you believed about certain things, about God and about the church and about you, all the answers would be different. So different. Some of them horribly different. Some of them shockingly different. We would be shocked about what some of us really believe because you realize we do what we believe. What we really believe is how we live, not what we say. 
See, what's informing our beliefs today? What influences you and what you believe? If you're a teenager this morning, you're influenced by what goes on at school and what your friends say and what's on the internet and what's on your phone and what's on the television. Those things inform our beliefs. If you're a child, your parents inform your beliefs, but also your friends at school and your teachers inform your beliefs, plus the TV that you watch five hours a day. If you're an adult, all of those things have informed your beliefs, plus your workplace, plus the people you're working with and rubbing shoulders with. And we're at church, if we are lucky, one and a half hours of a whole week. The majority of our time is, is spent in, a, in an environment that is so opposite to the beliefs that you hear and hear. Our beliefs are informed by so many things. There are things hitting us over and over and over and over. I'm 62 now, and I've seen the way our society has been manipulated. The New Zealand I grew up in is not the New Zealand today. And I watched how it happened. It happened through that box in your room. And I've watched how our beliefs have been subtly changed. Things that we believed 40 years ago were wrong, now we believe are right. Things 40 years ago we believed were right, now we believe are wrong. Our whole world, our whole thinking has been turned upside down by the, the things that have been coming at us, bombarding us just subtly, little by little by little by little by little. So we, is our belief affected by the world around us? Or is it affected by the Word of God? That was the question that the Romans were having to struggle with. What did they really believe? The church today is struggling with how to live that belief. If we are, have our beliefs are informed by the Word of God, how do we live that in a world that doesn't believe that, in a world that's opposed to that, in a world that is antagonistic to what the Word of God says? You realize you can be anything in our society except a Christian? You know, my wife's place of work, you can, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can say anything, but you're not allowed to use the word God. There's a silly cartoon that I, I've seen several times on Facebook where kids are outside the principal's office. and they say, oh, What do you hear? Said, I said, it's got bleep, 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 bleep. And the next one said, oh, I said, and it's got bleep, 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 bleep. And the other one said, I said Christmas. Think about it. It's not as silly as it sounds. When our kids were growing up at the preschool they went to, they were not allowed to put crosses on the hot cross buns at preschool because that was religious. Oh, no, not religious, Christian. You could have anything else, but you couldn't have a cross because of what it represented. There was a big fuss in Palmerston North, which is, I'm, I, I, I come from that sort of area in New Zealand. There was a big fuss in Palmerston North because on the clock tower there was a cross. And some of the people in the city objected to a cross being on the clock tower. You go to Palmerston North now, there is no cross. It's gone. 
It's not popular to be a Christian. It is not popular to own the cause of Christ. It is not popular to believe this. But Paul in the book of Romans is trying to encourage the church of Rome and to encourage us that there is only one way to live. And it's God's way. There is only one belief system that works, and it's the belief system that's in the Word of God. And it's our job to know who God is. It's our job to know what He's done for us. It's our job to really believe what God says is truth. Because as I said earlier, it's only the truth that sets us free. Lies don't set you free. What Larry said this morning was so true. The lie that he bought did not bring him freedom. It brought him bondage. The devil will try and tell you you're missing out. You know, as a teenager, when I, when I was a Christian, I'd see all the things that the other people were doing around me and I didn't do. And I, there's just that little, little thought in the back of my mind, oh, you're missing out. You know, I, I never went into a hotel until I was 21. I didn't know what the inside of a hotel looked like. I went in at an NZDI meeting and I realized I hadn't missed anything. It stunk awful, it looked awful, and it wasn't a great place to be at all. The lies don't bring truth, don't bring, sorry, the lies don't bring freedom, they bring bondage. I don't know what lies some of us are buying this morning, but they will not set you free. And the Roman church, to the Roman church, Paul is writing and he's saying there's only one way to freedom and it's God's way. And I want to tell you what God's way is. So he begins the book talking about God's way. He introduces it in Romans chapter 1 and he mentions the word gospel many times. That is his theme. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans is written to, to tell us what the gospel is, how we are to receive it, how we are to respond to it, what it isn't, what it is, and how it should affect our lives and what sort of church it should make us. So he starts by, in Romans chapter 1, talking about the gospel, the good news. And what we've already talked about is the fact that the gospel is not a message. It's a person. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the good news about Jesus. You see, a message just informs your brain. A person, a relationship with a person changes you in the inside. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Him. He is the gospel. He is the good news. But then Paul moves on after introducing that to talk about why this good news is necessary. Why do we need good news today? Well, well, there's a whole lot of bad news. We need some good news. Well, what is the bad news? Why do we have such bad news? Why do you turn your TV news on if you watch it and see bad news all the time? If we have a newspaper, why do you open it and find bad news in there? If you turn, open up your phone and look at the news in there, why is it bad news? Why is this world such a bad news place to be? And that is what Romans 1 begins to move into. This is just by way of introduction, just to get us all up to speed, because I know some of us haven't been here. So in Romans 1, 18 to 32, and we read it all out, it's quite a dreary little passage, really. You need to read it in your own time. It starts off, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. You think, oh dear God, let's have something more bright than that, shall we? 
And it goes on and talks, gives a bit of detail about what this godlessness and wickedness looks about. And it talks about the lifestyle that Larry bought into in there. Spends quite a bit of time talking about it. The reason it does is because Rome was totally immersed in, in that lifestyle. The Greek and the Roman world was, 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 was sexually perverse. And it moves on and talks about other things. After he speaks several verses about sexual, sexual behavior, and we will talk about that in greater detail next week. Then it goes on to talk about other behaviors concerning people filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. And then the ones that we all do, gossip, slanderers, God-haters, I hope you're not that, insolent, who hasn't been insolent to their parents? Wouldn't be one hand here. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they only continued to do those very things and also approved of those who practice them. It's today. It's life today. It hasn't changed, has it? 2,000 years, things are still the same. You think humanity would have got better by now. would have learned a little bit, but we're just the same. Not much different. And in verse 18 here, Paul identifies the root of the problem. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Two words, godlessness and wickedness. Godlessness. God has been removed from the central place in our lives. God being put to one side or God being cast out altogether. Godlessness. That's the problem of this planet. That's why we have the problems we have. That's why there's bad news all around us. God has been taken out of his place. And then wickedness, or literally being put out of joint. Have you ever had a, a, a limb that's been out of joint? Have you ever put your shoulder out, or your arm out, or your wrist out, or your, 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 your ankle out? It's gone out of joint. Incredible pain. Your body doesn't work well anymore. It just, it's just all wrong. That's what this word is trying to encapsulate. Humanity broken. Totally broken. In need of a complete cure. Out of joint. So humanity is godless and out of joint. Not working right. Not working the way it's supposed to work because, because it's out of joint. It's, 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 it's functioning wrong. It needs to be fixed. And what Paul is trying to say here, he's casting pretty black picture. And what he's trying to say is the world is not okay. Have you ever worked that one out yet? This world's not okay. There's some nice people in it, but it's not okay. It's broken. You know, we've been sold the lie that humanity is essentially good. You know, all we need to do is do a little bit of tweaking here and a little bit of psychoanalyzing here and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and, and, and it'll just be all wonderful. That's a lie. This world's broken. It's totally broken, in need of a cure. So in the rest of the chapter, Paul is just highlighting what that brokenness looks like. And he's bringing out some certain behaviors, not picking on them, not saying these are real bad things. It's not a list of bad to sort of semi-bad. It's just brokenness. And brokenness manifests itself in all sorts of ways. We're all broken people. We know that. 
You know the Peter Rabbit song? Why do I do it? What can it be? There's naughtiness in everyone, but twice as much in me. Why do I do it? 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 Because it's fun. That's it, isn't it? That's why we do it. We do it because we want to do it. We're broken people. Why can't we be nice to one another? Why can't we say nice things? Why can't we build one another up? Why can't we encourage one another? Why can't we bless one another? Why can't we talk to Don like that all the time? Because we're broken people. Why don't we see the good in the people around us? Because we are broken people. Why, do we, why are we always pointing the finger at somebody else's brokenness? Because we're broken and we want to hide our brokenness by highlighting someone else's. This world is broken. And Paul says that's the bad news. The bad news is it's all busted. And he's looking back at Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And he's saying God created everything good, but people broke it. I've just been spending uh, the last five days in Auckland visiting our new grandson. And, uh, of course, we're with the first grandson as well. And we bought him a present. Just a little cheapy thing from a shop. We walked past the shop, and of course they have all the all the things that kids want to see in the window. And walking past, and he stopped and looked, you know. So we went into the shop, and it said, "Let's go in." I thought, "Oh, okay, I know what's coming now." So we went into the shop, and he loves diggers. He's a he's a boy. He loves diggers. And there was this digger there. It was only four dollars ninety. I said, "Danny, let's buy it for him." So we bought him this cheap plastic digger, and he loved it. But three days later, he was in a cantankerous mood. You know how two-and-a-half-year-olds get? And so he picks up the digger and chucks it across the room, you know, just trying to break the thing. Why? Because he's just being a pain. He loved the thing. If he'd broken it, he would have been distraught. But that wasn't going through his head at the moment. He was just being a two-and-a-half-year-old. We're all like that, aren't we? So Paul and the rest of the chapter highlights what that rot looks like. And we have tended to read verses 18 to 32 of Romans as a list of things that are bad to sort of bad. And we thought, well, a little bit of gossip doesn't hurt anybody, but oh, oh, those, those sexual sins, real bad. Yeah, those, those things, that, oh, but oh, it's okay. Paul's not saying that. He's saying that's those are all just a sign of brokenness. From what we would call the little to the big, they are just brokenness. Humanity's broken. Those behaviors are what happens when God is no longer at the center. When God's taken out of the picture, we start to do things our way. And as Larry found out, our way is not good. Doesn't bring the life we wanted. Doesn't bring the fulfillment we thought it would. It's hollow and it's empty. And Paul says something rather sad. He says, God gave them over. God gave them over to their wickedness. God gave them over to what they wanted to do. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to all sorts of things. 
In Genesis 3, God gave mankind over to what mankind wanted. God does the same with us, you know. You, he, he isn't there trying to stop you doing stuff. He will let you do whatever you want to do. And he let mankind choose. He gave them over. God gave the responsibility for our behavior back to us, but also with the consequences with it. You think, oh, God will stop me doing real bad stuff. No, he won't. If you want to do bad stuff, God will let you. But you've got to understand the consequences are in your hands. If you want to speak nastily to somebody, God's not going to stop you speaking nastily, but you're going to get the consequences of that in a broken relationship. See, if we ignore God and follow our own brokenness, eventually our humanity or our humanness breaks down. And what we end up is with animal behavior. In fact, animals are better. Animals can be far better than a bad human. Just look at World War II. And we become more and more like what we worship. I want us to look at a slide. Have we got the PowerPoint up there? Number four. That's the one. I've got a little picture there of Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3. And I want to talk about that for a minute this morning. Because Paul, this is what the picture that Paul is giving in Romans 1, 2, and 3. He's taking us back to the beginning. He's explaining why we are like we are. Why we need good news. Why mankind desperately needs to be saved from itself. And there are two pictures. There's Genesis 1 and 2, and we've looked at this already. In the garden, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man and woman. God was at the center in Genesis 1 and 2. God was the focus. In the beginning, God. God was number one. And out of God being at the focus, you had a healthy spirituality. You had a, you had a, a relationship with God that was healthy and whole. And out of that flew, flowed a healthy sexuality and a healthy, them help being healthy socially. God at the center creates health, spiritually, sexually, and socially. In Genesis 1 and 2, you had a world that was paradise. Absolutely beautiful. And God said it was good. Then God created man and woman, and he said it's very good. Everything was good. There was no bad news in Genesis 1 and 2. Everything was good. You wake up in the morning and, oh, it's good. You get to lunchtime, oh, it's good. You get to dinner time, oh, it's good. You go out to work, oh, I love it. You go to school, whoa, I love it. You get to exam time, oh, I love exams. You get, everything's good, no bad news at all. Anyone want that? That's the way we were created to be. That is what God planned. That's what God wanted for us. It's what he wants us living now. But we aren't. Because Genesis 3 came along. God created everything good. And yet in this thing that he'd created good, there were boundaries. And we're going to talk about those in a minute. God said to Adam and Eve, if you live within the boundaries I'm setting for you, they are there for your well-being. They're there to keep everything good. If you live within those boundaries, everything will stay good. But Eve looked outside the boundary and she thought, whoa, that looks quite good. 
like Larry was talking about. Oh, I wonder what it's like over the fence. I wonder what it's like if I just put my foot over and have a, have a little, little touch upon that grass on the other side of the fence. I wonder what it'll be like. And so in Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve disobeying God, going outside the boundaries that God had set. And they suddenly discovered that it wasn't good, it was bad. God said, if you go outside the boundaries, you'll die. You'll find death instead of life. And that's exactly what they discovered. But the problem with the death was it was eternal. It was unfixable. And so now we see Genesis 3. God has been taken out out of the center and self has been put at the center. That's what that was all about. Eve, Adam and Eve chose their own ideas instead of God's. They chose to live their way instead of God's way. They chose to put themselves at the center instead of God at the center. They chose to put their ideas ahead of God's ideas, their plans ahead of God's plans, their desires ahead of his desires. They put self at the center and what they got was dysfunctional spirituality. They became dysfunctional spiritually, a dysfunctional sexuality. They became dysfunctional sexually. We're going to talk about that next week, just to let you know. And then they became dysfunctional socially. The whole social fabric broke down. We see the first murder very quickly. One of Adam and Eve's sons kills the other because he's jealous. We see anger, we see bitterness, we see jealousy, we see murder very, very quickly. Why? Because self is at the center. And self isn't good when God's not on the throne. Go to the next slide, please. That's the one. So I want to talk this morning about what these things look like. What does spiritual dysfunction look like? What does it look like when God is not at the center? So we find God dethroned in Genesis chapter 3, and God is dethroned now. Our struggle, people, is to get God back on the throne, isn't it? Isn't our struggle, our biggest struggle as Christians is getting God back at the center, because really he's not. If we're honest, he's not. We are still ruling and reigning. We still want our way, don't we? If our way fits in with God's way, we're happy. If our way doesn't fit in with God's way, we try and manipulate it so it will. Come on, let's be honest. It's true. Well, I'm like that anyway. I don't know about you, but that's me. And my biggest struggle is to get God back on the throne in my life. So God is dethroned. So what comes out of that is self-worship. We worship ourself, our opinion, our ways instead of God. Now, obviously, we don't sing to ourselves, Oh, Peter, I love you. We don't do that. But we act that, don't we? Hmm. We act it. We put ourselves first. We put our opinion first. We put our desires first. That's all worship is, is putting something first. We have creation worship, worshiping the things around us, money, things, cars, houses, stuff. And we have, on the religious side, we have religion and other gods worship. 
We have living by rules and regulations because I can control that. So I, I, have, I have all the thou shalt nots. Oh, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to do this and this and this, but you can't do this, 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 this and this. And we have all these rules and we tick them off, you know, and we get religious and we get all, all bound up. That is also God dethroned because that's not Christianity. That's religion. And religion is just as bad as self-worship because we're still controlling it. We are still running it. Life's meant to be run with God running everything. Let's have the next one. So what does sexual dysfunction look like? Remember in Genesis 3 now, we're looking at the dysfunctions just very quickly. Self's at the center. So when self's at the center, sex is all about me. It's all about what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and where I'm going to have it. Self-centered sexuality. That's what we've got today. Better believe it. It's what's produced, it's what's told you. It just amazes me. You're watching something on TV, and a couple meet each other for the first time. Five minutes later, they're in bed. Duh! That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's self-centered sexuality. That's getting what I want. A girl becomes a, a thing to be used to pleasure a guy. Or a guy becomes a thing to be used for a woman. We're not things to be used. We're people to be loved. Self-centered sexuality. Out of that comes immorality, sex outside of God's boundaries. God does have boundaries. We're going to talk about those next week. What are they? You have to wait. Immorality is just sex outside of God's boundaries. God has boundaries for our well-being. Everything has boundaries. You know that, don't you? Who drives a car? There are boundaries, aren't there? There's things you do and there's things you shouldn't do. If you do the things you shouldn't do, you crash your car. Hmm? Those are boundaries. Are those boundaries bad? No, they're for your good. They're to keep you alive. Boundaries are good. You want to have a fire in your fireplace, right? There's boundaries. You don't put the fire on the lounge floor, do you? No. I'm we all live by boundaries. We're happy with boundaries unless we don't want them. Then we push them. Ah. So immorality is sex outside of God's boundaries. Or we have sexual exploitation of others, just exploiting others for our own use. That's what happens when we have self-centered sexuality. Or you have one that's just as bad. Legalism. Nice big word, asceticism which says sex is dirty. It's disgusting. Ugh. The old Victorian statement given to the woman, woman or the wife, the mother to the daughter when she's going to get married. My daughter, something horrible is going to happen to you tonight. Lie back and think of England. That is also self-centered sexuality. It's wrong. We're going to look at that next week. Next one. Yeah, it's all over. Talk about something else. Self-centered social behavior. I'll do what I want. No healthy boundaries. I can act like I want your problem, not mine. I can talk to you how I want. I can treat you how I want. I can, I can speak about you the way I want. I can do what I want to you because it's about me. It's about how I feel and tough for you. 
That's what happens in self-centered social behavior. Social exploitation of others. I, I, I use you for my own benefits. Churches do that sometimes. Use people for their own ends. That is self-centered social behavior. It's not God-centered. We should be here for one another. huh? It's not what I can get out of you. It's what I can give to you. It's not what you can get out of me. It's what you can give to me. It's a caring for one another. But when self is at the center, that all goes. And lastly, there's legalism and moralistic behavior. That, oh, Bridget's doing that. Oh, Christians don't do that. Oh, our missionaries had a holiday. Oh, missionaries shouldn't have holidays. <laughs> Says the man who's going on a big holiday soon. Yeah, that, that's just, that's just self-centered behavior. It's looking at other people. It's putting rules and regulations on other people based on me and what I want and what I think. That's not God's way. That's self-centered. You see, in Genesis 3, self got on the throne. And when self gets on the throne, the whole thing goes out of whack. As soon as you take God out of the picture, you break it. And you can't fix it. Except, next one, you put God back in the picture. And Romans is all about putting God back in the picture. And the first thing we need to put God back in the picture with, and we're finishing with this this morning, is spiritually. We need to return to spiritual health. You know, people, if we haven't got spiritual health, we won't get anything else. You can't have sexual health without having spiritual health. You can't have social health without having... Rebecca wants to go home. No, she's doing... No, you're right, Carrie, I'm just being mean. That's self at the center. You can't have health without God, number one. Can you? And yet we try. And what does it mean to be spiritually healthy? Have you thought about that? I was asked a question the other day. I was talking about this with someone from our church. And this person said, I've always struggled to work out what does God at the center look like? just what she's playing God at the center looks like this Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind use the word all three times not some not most but all now think about what that, what that means this morning for you and I Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That means He is everything. That means there's no desire that comes above Him. That sounds very nice and spiritual, but you try putting that into practice. It challenges everything in your life. All your heart. 
All your soul, all your thinking. That means I have to submit my thinking, everything I've been conditioned with, everything I've been taught at school, everything my ki- the, the kids at school talk about, I have to now filter through what does God think? What does he say? With all my mind, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's spiritually healthy. Anything less than that is spiritually sick. Oh, heck. We're sick, aren't we? Come on, we are. And then Jesus proved what that looks like in practice. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, was, he was sweating those great drops of blood, remember? And he said, he prayed this prayer, Father, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want, God, but what you want. I do want stuff. God, I, I would really not like to do this. I, I would, there's another way. Surely we could sort out an easier way. Let's, let's play a game of chess instead. God, can we do it that way? You know I could thump the devil at, devil at chess. Let's just do it the easy way. Eh? Look, surely there must be an easier way, but if there isn't an easier way, God, I'll do it your way. God says, come to Pakistan. And they go, oh, maybe, maybe Disneyland might be a better place. God, I, I'm, I'm sure there's Muslims at Disneyland. I, I'm sure I could find some Muslims at Disneyland. And if they're not at Disneyland, let's go to Disney World. We're sure we'll find some there and we can evangelize them. And, and we can all have a good time. God says, no, Pakistan for three years for you. Not my will, but yours be done. And then God closes the door and says, Pakistan's finished. Now that begins to really hurt because that's become your dream. But your response has to be, if God is at the center, God, I want to stay here, but not my will, but yours be done. True? And is that easy? No, it hurts. Because my will, I worship. My will, I want to be at the center. But if God is at the center, I have to push my will off the throne and I have to say, God, there's a better way. And even though I want this way, I choose the better way. Not my will, but yours be done. That's what God at the center looks like. It's not all of a sudden becoming holy and righteous, you know, with this permanent smile. A sort of ethereal look, they sort of float through life. Oh, it goes with the music, doesn't it? Just just float through life, you know, on a cloud. How are you today? Oh, I'm blessed. Just floating through life. That's not what it looks like. Sometimes it looks like this. Ah! I really want to do this, God. I really want to do it, but I choose you first. It looks like that. You've got to work at putting God at the center sometimes because you really want to be there yourself. Am I right? And that was Jesus in Gethsemane. Father, not my will. That wasn't an easy prayer but it was a God at the center prayer. (laughs) 
healthy spiritually is putting God first. Anything else? Oh, I closed them. You're safe. Anything else is broken. Anything less is broken. I'm not trying to put the heavy on us this morning. I'm trying to be real. Folks, we're broken, aren't we? That's why we struggle with life. That's why life is so hard because we're broken. And God's call to us in the book of Romans is come back to health. Come back to the center place. Come back to that place where God is first. And the rest of life just starts. It doesn't get easy. It just sort of fits in place. It's like the jigsaw pieces that you're missing start to get found. And life starts to make sense. Has my life been easy? No, it has not. Have I had to make decisions that have been hard? Yes, I have. But it has all made sense when I've put God at the middle. And if you want life to make sense, there's only one way to do it. And that's to put Him first. Let's stand to our feet just as we finish.